Welcome to a very special episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. And if you're listening to this fresh off the press, then you're probably looking forward to feasting your eyes on the Tour of Flanders this weekend. Well, your timing is impeccable, because my guest today is none other than reigning champion Kasper Askren. What can I tell you about Kasper? Well, he's a Danish man with what... Sorry. (laughs) Just the word Danish man. I don't think you've ever said it, ever. Well, he's a Danish man with more than one hidden talent, and we chat all about those, and you might be very surprised by at least one of them. He's a very talented bike rider, of course, a one-day specialist who knows his strengths lie in the longer races. We also chat about how he joined his dream team, Quickstep Alpha Vidal, and how Patrick Lefebvre really made him sweat. But which member of his team is the messiest roommate? How much does the springtime set menu cost at the number two rated restaurant in his hometown of Codling? And how many F-bombs did producer Niall have to mute out of the podcast? Stay tuned for all the important info, folks, because this is the Casper Asgreen episode. You know it's that time again. Podcast. At the time of this recording, it's monument season, folks, and with the Ron van Vladeren just a few days away, I was thrilled to chat with the current champion, Kasper Asgren. We discussed his powerful rise to world tour level, how he targeted team time trial successes in his first season with Quickstep, and we also discussed how his dream team have created a team spirit that's almost a part of its DNA now. Knowing your strengths can take you a long way in bike racing, and Casper's recollection of how he beat Mathieu van der Poel by racing smart to claim the title at Flanders in 2021 is truly fascinating. Check it out. Well, Casper, first and foremost, thank you very much indeed for joining us on Matt Stevens Unplugged. Thank you very much for having me. Um, just a quick caveat. Um, we are having building work next door. Our next door neighbor is having his a new kitchen installed. So if there is any banging and, and kind of funny drilling <laughs> noises, I just wanted to get that out of the way first. Okay. Uh, but, uh, it's just a bit of a caveat. Um, now, where in the world, Casper, are you? You just explain to our listeners where in the world you are. And also what you can see immediately around you. And that just gives us, a, it enables us to set a really nice context before we kick off the pod. Yeah, I'm in uh I'm in my hotel room in uh in Tielt in uh Belgium, a small uh, small town um where we always stay uh, for the classics in the in the Shamrock Hotel. And uh um, nice. Yeah, I have a I have a lovely view of uh of the main road uh passing around the city uh out of my window, so that's great. <laughs> You're in the Shamrock Hotel. The, Sh- the Shamrock Hotel, yes. So that's, that's 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 Irish. Is that is it an Irish hotel? I uh, don't think so. Uh, the owners oh, right. are Belgian. Just, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. The Shamrock Hotel. And who are you sharing a room with? Anybody? Or are you on this like one person per room policy? Uh, no. Normally we we have. Um, we have roommates here, but um, because uh, my roommate, he actually just uh, he left this morning because he de- he's doing uh, Brugge de Pane right now, Michael Morkov. So okay. um, yeah, I'm uh, waiting for the for the next guy to to move in, but uh, I don't know who it will be yet. Um, yeah, so it will be a quick step alpha vinyl roulette almost. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's sure. like. Uh, 
It's like the Madison Square. Just uh, throw a new guy in next race. <laughs> Actually, while we're on the subject of, of Michael Morkov, of course, you know, absolutely amazing rider, a rider that I know reasonably well myself. But what's what's it like sharing a room with him? Obviously, you're, he's the elder states, one of the old uh, old riders in the team now, yeah. still riding better than ever. But um, and obviously, being a Dane, it must be quite nice to to, to room with Michael. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Uh, I really like it, uh, and it's. Uh, it's not so often uh, that we get the chance to talk uh, Danish in the room. Um, actually, I was just thinking about it today. Uh, I think it's the first time uh, I'm in Belgium for the classics and all the Danish are here. Also, uh, Honore is also here. Um, yeah. And he was also supposed to have raced today. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, he got fever overnight and, and uh, didn't take the start today. But okay. uh, I think it's the first time ever that I, I am in the classics and like more than half of the team is is not Belgian, so it's a it's a it's a bit of a strange year. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's nice to be with Michael in the room. He's he's a very calm and uh, yeah, we have more or less the same rhythm. And yeah, I, as you know, when you travel so much, it's always nice to have somebody that you have kind of the same same rhythm as you know. Yeah, it's it it is. I mean, I think it's always important to mix it up a little bit with with teammates to get to know people. But as you say, somebody who you're in this who shares a similar routine and, and a similar a similar aesthetic, like lights out, maybe music you like isn't too loud. Is I guess I would imagine, and I'm guessing now, Casper, um, that Michael is he quite tidy? Is he a tidy guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Yeah. <laughs> He, you know, he has he, his suitcase. It's always in the like those little uh, travel dividers. Those little like all his clothes is packed into those. So like he has one for bibs and one for jerseys, and like it's super neat. I, I take pretty good care of my own suitcase. I think so, but like he's uh, he's really next level. Like I, I couldn't undo a sip every time I had to take a bib. Like that's just uh, that's a that's a that's a bit too too much for me, but okay. It, it works. Just for him. I think it. Yeah, I think it gives an indication into into the way people operate in their mind, isn't it? Yeah. I, I find it absolutely intriguing, sharing with teammates and seeing how different or the similar they are to you. So, okay, without controversial question here, Casper, um, who's the messiest teammate in the whole of Quickstep Alpha Varna? Who's the guy that? Obviously, yeah, I would imagine you get on with everybody, but who's the guy that's like, oh my God, this guy's so messy. It's, it's freaking me out. Tim DeClerc. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what's he like? Tell, tell me, describe that to me. Yeah, but, but it's, uh, you know, it's not, like, Tim is the nicest guy you'll ever meet, you know? He's, yeah. he's, he's such a good person and he really doesn't do it out of, but, but he's just, uh, like, he, he just gets so rallied up and so stressed before a race and he goes to, uh, yeah, um, he goes to the toilet uh, four times before the race in the, in the last hour, you know, and it's like he's just so stressed and then he just doesn't think about it. You know, he's just his stuff is just everywhere around the seat where he, in the bus when <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, and he 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 knows. And then uh, once uh, he's he has everything ready, then he starts to tidy it up and then uh yeah, usually uh, he he leaves the he leaves the bus quite quite okay. But I know I know he came into the team way before me, of course. But I know that in the beginning when he was in the team, like it was really a big problem because he would just leave the bus and he would just not think about it. Not a right. bad harm, like a bad meeting or anything, but just he just didn't think about it. And then yeah, at some point, the, the directors I had to like 
Pokemon show and I was like, uh, you need to uh, clean up around your seat. It's not the bus driver's <laughs> job. <laughs> Fair enough. No, no, it's, it, it's, it's always interesting how, how the way riders operate within the team because, you know, from the outside, people would just look at riders in the team. They see the jerseys. But then there's the human side to cycling. That I love racing. I love tactics that, you know, I, I the history of the sport. But the thing that... I like the most about about cycling is the characters within the sport is this the individuals how they tick a little bit and that's what I try and do when I interview people when I do podcasts or whatever is to try and get a little bit of the human side and mm. and that often doesn't come across necessarily in the racing you know oh. um, but uh, yeah it it is fascinating to see and I guess as a teammate of somebody once you understand how they operate as a human being um, then when you get to know them, it's far easier to work as a team when you understand how that, how they tick. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, yeah, with Tim, it's also like, you can also see it a bit out in the race sometimes when, if you're out in the race and the, the, the gap starts to go up and it, nobody starts to pull. And then he's like, oh, but we need to start. We need to start. We need to start. But then, you know, sometimes you have to also have to, you also have to play the game a little bit. If we just start first, we just start first every time. We're gonna end up pulling half the races alone, you know. So yeah. sometimes we also need to we also need to say, okay, you guys also need to pitch in, otherwise they go. Uh, yeah. But then he just starts to get stressed, and he's like, ah, we need to go, we need to go, we need to go. <laughs> yeah, that, that that, that's really it's really interesting because I was commentating on last year's Milan San Remo and. <clears throat> As we saw this year with Jos van Emden, who pretty much rode 230 Ks on his own. Hmm. Last year, it was Tim de Klerk who pretty much did that on his own, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, was, I, I, was, I, I did the graveyard shift. I did from 75 kilometers commentary to 150. And all I talked about was Tim de Klerk on the front. And then before I went <laughs> on, just, but God, he, that, that guy is, is an engine. And, um, yeah, yeah. and he's, yeah, he's, but he, he has earned so much respect, hasn't he? It's, um, yeah, and, really. and how is he? Because I know he was, he was a little bit injured. How is he at the moment? Yeah, he uh, he has some problems with the with the heart in Valtal Garve. Um, mm. Obviously, it was a it was a big scare uh, for him. Um, but they got him back to Belgium and got him checked up, and it it turned out that it was not as not as bad as you could have uh, could have feared. And um, yeah, he took he took the rest he needed, and and he's back to training now and. Yeah, in a, in a couple of weeks he he should be back to to racing. But I think uh, until he's back, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a big hit for us because he does the work of two or three riders. You know, it, yeah. uh, the 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 engine and the power he has is just incredible, and um, yeah. it's really really hard to replace. So yeah, probably we need to use two guys to do the same that that he used to do alone. That's it. That really does put it into perspective. But just from, on a personal level, Casper, so so far this year, um, well, your, your best result so far. I mean, w- what a ride in in Strada Bianca. I mean, um, if we if we if we go back a, just a couple of weeks now, obviously looking ahead um, to the classics. I mean, but going into that race, it was I guess you were riding for Julian, and then uh, with that incredible that that freak gust of wind that blew half the riders off in, in the field. I mean. How did you, you guys, as a team, reassess the situation, and when was the decision made on the ground for, for you to be um, to be the one they were riding for? Well, I, I had a I had a free roll going into the race. Um, yeah. you, I, the, the main focus was, of course, Julian. 
uh, as it's a really really good race for him and he 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 won it before and but but um, I had I had a free role uh, there so I I was not on on support duty for him and I could just kind of do my own thing and and try to get uh, to get to the final um, but for me the crucial point was really uh, the two steep ramps in the beginning of uh, Santa Maria where sure. uh, Tades rode away uh, in the end and and that was like if I could get over that get over those uh, still in contention then from there on it was more my terrain but but yeah uh, those are really on the limit for me and on the limit of, of what I can do um, so until then uh, my job was basically just to to save energy if a group goes close to there maybe I can try to anticipate and go ahead um but but with the way the wind was it was headwind going there and yeah it was it was not the place to to go uh before santa maria so so i just saved energy and, and got onto santa maria and and passed those two climbs and, and then julian said that he was that he was just done uh he he yeah. was um he had a hard chase coming back from the crash and he just hadn't didn't have anything left. So, and then him and, and Peter Seri, they, they did an amazing, uh, effort for me, uh, and try to, to minimize the, um, the gap that Tadej had so that I could go on the, on the next sector. But yeah, uh, in the end he was, he was just too strong. Yeah, he, he was, I mean, it's, it's fair to say in many of the races, he is, uh, maybe a once in a, I mean, the level already in, in, um, pro cycling is so high, but he is, he is a once in a generation kind of rider, I think, and an amazing, amazing rider. But from from your own perspective, you must have been very, very happy with that performance to get on the podium in a race like that. Although you had a free reign, um, the, the focus changed. I, I like the fact that what people look at in racing now, sometimes from an observer's point of view, they think it's all controlled by radios, power meters, and a race like Strada Bianca it isn't. It's um, it, it's based on your ability to, to make decisions on the road mm-hmm. uh, and also just good legs and, and feelings, isn't it? There's a lot more emotion in the sport than do you think people um, give it credit for? Yeah, for sure. And and actually, especially with, with Strada, it's such a hectic race and, Often the cars they are very very far behind and then it can we, we 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 don't really hear what they are saying in the radio we can hear the radio is on yeah. but it's just a bunch of scratching but because if they are yeah. so far behind we don't hear them if they are more than two minutes behind you know um, and then once they catch up the like the situation in the race could have changed five times and they have no idea what's going on anymore and I actually sure. had it in in Strade where. I, directly went against uh, what the director said in, in the radio because we, we had been talking among us uh, out in the bunch, uh, the riders in the bunch, and we, we had made a plan and then he was saying something else on the radio and he uh, and at some point he uh, I just had to say, no, we have a plan. And then, and then he, yeah, he shut up. But, you know, uh, that, I think there's a lot more of that than, than people realize and i think the right yeah. it's not a it's not a pro cycling manager uh from from the car um uh, as sure. it's made up to be sometimes um, yeah no and i think that's such an important thing especially for younger riders that you know when you're coming through the ranks and proving yourself as an amateur and a younger rider and as a junior 
you, you have to learn to race with instinct. You, you still have to apply tactics and you, you learn things. And when you get to a point where not just because of the engine that you possess and the abilities physiologically, but, but when you come into a team, uh, you have to fit in with the environment. And, and although you have to take orders and race to a plan, you also are given trust by your the team management to make the right decisions out on the road. And in that situation, it's a perfect example of, of you making a decision and actually being strong, strong enough to say no. I mean, and so it's a two-way process, completely two-way process, isn't it? Mm, yeah, definitely. Well, and that also, obviously, it also takes something, you know, uh, when I was in the Pro, I was not there in the radio saying no to the, to the director, of course. It's, of course, uh, yeah, that's yeah. also, uh, that's also a process and something you, you build up to and, and, uh, and, uh, their directors also has to get to know you and get to know uh, your tactical abilities. And, uh, and when, when they trust that I can make a smart decision, then they also don't discuss with me on the radio anymore. Because if they, if I was a Neo pro, maybe they would be, ah, do you really think that's a good idea? <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, talking about being a Neo pro Casper, can you just rewind a couple of years and, and just explain, I mean, I know a little bit about how it went on uh, primarily actually through talking to Brian home when I was mm. over in Denmark a couple of years ago, because you did come up in conversation. Uh, he's a, a, a chap that I know you're, you're quite close to. Um, but, um, but how exactly did, the move to to quick step come about uh, from your perspective because you, it was a funny time when you actually joined wasn't it yeah yeah i was uh, I, I had a really good 2017 season uh, and i was really hoping to go professional after that um yeah. unfortunately it, it didn't work out and and i was out of the under 23s uh, at that point and um then it starts to be really, really difficult to turn professional. You really have to be beating the pros in the professional races for yep. the professional teams to 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 take notice of it. Because otherwise, the younger guys that are racing in the professional ranks they're just more attractive than you because they have two or three years less than you. Yep. So I was I was at a point where I, I I I knew I had to perform in the biggest races we had and and. I made a plan with my team that the professional races we had, that's where I wanted to, to make my mark. And I wanted to do it from the, from the gun, uh, when the season started and, um, just in case it happens sometimes, you know, that the teams, they're, they're a bit screwed with the programs and they need another rider. And if there was, a, if that situation were to come up, I needed to be the guy on, on the Europe tour that all the teams would, would look to. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I had that plan and, and I had a really good start to the season and over the winter I had been on training camp at both Trek Shigafredo and, and Quickstep and then as it turned out Quickstep they, they, they did have a bunch of injuries in the beginning of the year and, and they were struggling to fill out their their program uh, race program they didn't have enough riders and uh, we started to hear some chatter that they were considering taking another rider and uh and then my 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 agent he 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 got on the phone and and I spoke to Patrick and uh, Patrick was dwelling a little bit between uh, uh, two two riders uh, me being one of them and uh, I was in the middle of uh, uh, the Tour of Normandy yeah um, 
and uh, Andrew, my agent, he uh, he said to me, uh, "Yeah, listen, I think uh, I think you need to send Patrick a message yourself and say that you really want this, and and Quickstep is is what you want to do." Because that was also another team that was looking to sign me from first uh, of July, so as a stash year. But uh, yeah, Quickstep was already from first of April, and I and I Quickstep had already always been my dream team to go to. You know, I always yeah. saw myself as a classic rider. That was what I aspired to be, and so Quickstep was really the dream. You know, so I, I he gave me Patrick's number, and I sent Patrick a message uh, explaining that like I, I I'm really sorry to put pressure on you like this. Uh, I know I'm not in any position to do so, but. I really need an answer by tonight or, or I need to take this other opportunity or it's going to slip away, you know? Uh, so I, I need an answer tonight or, or, or wow. I'm gone. It's pretty bold, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it was like, the other team was also like, yeah, but you know, if you don't want it, we can also find somebody else. So it's like, yeah, it was of last, last yeah. chance for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then <clears throat> I got the message back from Patrick that just said, stop. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> it's so finished. Um, oh man! Okay. Yeah, okay. Oh no! And and this was after the first third stage of two of Normandy, and then a minute or so passed, and it was like the longest minute of my life. You know, probably it was only ten <laughs> oh, seconds no. in the end, but it felt like oh, forever. And then it came back. It came yeah. another message. We have a deal. Okay. <laughs> Oh man, he clearly did that to make you sweat, man. Yeah, for just sure. to make you sweat for a I can just now oh, I know him a bit, and I can just see him sitting there laughing, like, "Oh, this is gonna be funny." <laughs> oh my god, that's uh, so. To you, your then your world changed, didn't it? Because you, yeah, yeah. Um, you, yeah. you, you signed, you signed for the team technically on the 1st of April, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and it was uh, like, 2018. I was, uh, at a, yeah, at that point I, I, I left for Normandy and I got heard from Andrew. There was a bit of chatter about this, but I, he only just told me like the day I was leaving or something like that. So I had no idea sure. when I left and then, yeah, yeah, I finished two of Normandy and then, uh, at that point, the contract was was done and and signed and everything. It was it got done throughout the last stages of Normandy, and then uh, the team they gave me a they gave me a team uh, my 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 continental team they gave me a team car uh, to drive up to Cotric uh, in uh, in Belgium to the service yeah. course, and I got I got all my clothes and I got my bike and everything. And uh, then I went to Limburg to do one last race uh, on the 31st of, uh, of March for the yeah. county team. And then they dropped me off uh, in the hotel for, uh, for two of Flanders that the team was staying in for two of Flanders in, in uh, Antwerp. And uh, yeah, I was dropped off there for, for dinner with uh, Gilbert and Terfta and La- uh, Yves Lampard and those guys. They were having their uh, wow. pasta and getting ready to race uh, to a Flanders the, the, the next day, you know, uh, <laughs> I was like, well, welcome to wow. the team. <laughs> and, it's, uh, uh, it's such a, amazing. Yeah, it was, it was uh, a, a bit surreal, you know, and then I was, I, I hit my continental team. They went back home to Denmark and, and they brought my, my, all my old clothes that I with from, from them and, and my new bike from, from Quickstep. My new training bike they brought it back for me and they were really helpful um 
And I was just there with my trolley because three days later on the third, I was supposed to do scale the price. So yep. I ended up staying in Belgium to do scale the price on the third, third of April, two days after I was announced on the, on the first. And, uh, yeah, after scale the price, when I took the flight back home, I was sitting there in the flight, like when I left two weeks ago for two of Normandy, I had no, no idea, you know, I had no idea. <laughs> And now I was flying back with a suitcase full of quick step clothes. That's it's a, it's a really interesting story. I mean, uh, and clearly just by, I mean, just so people know, I can't, you're not on a video here, but just by the way that you're talking, Casper, uh, it's, it's a big, you've obviously a lot has changed in those three or four years mm. um, in terms of, well, a lot has changed, but it still clearly is a very, very important moment in your life. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and you speak about it with a, a great fondness, yeah. you know, and I, I, I can almost sense that you're smiling when you're telling that story. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and when you fast forward to the end of that year, I mean, you had a, you had a solid uh, start and then you look at the, the closing part of the year, you ended up on the team time trial uh, squad at the world championships yeah. and you were world team time trial champion as well. I mean, that in, in Austria and in Innsbruck, I mean, um, that must've been, what an experience that, that, that must've been for you. Yeah. Like, like just from the, from, from the get go, it was just, it just went fast. Uh, yeah. Like already after I was on the team for, for three months, uh, after the nationals, uh, Brian called me and asked me if I wanted to do the World to España. I had been in the team for three months at that point. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, uh, I had like the only thing I met, the only thing I basically mentioned to them when, when I joined the team, because they were asking a little bit about what kind of races I would like to do. And I was like, the only thing I really want to do is the world time trial team time trial championships because wow. Wow. it was the last time they were like, we already knew it was the last time they were supposed to do it uh yep. for for teams and i knew we had a good shot uh at winning quickstep always had a good track record there and and i knew obviously i knew the riders that was there that year as well and yeah i knew i knew we had a good shot so it's like that would be so cool to be just to take part of the last uh world team time trial championships and 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 go for the go for the gold medal so that's the only thing I mentioned to them. I, I really want to be on on that squad, and uh, I'm 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 willing to do whatever it takes to 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 prove that I belong there. So, in the end, I got a bunch of races with with team time trials in, and I I did uh, both of the Hammer series in uh, Limburg and in Norway, where I was a team time trial. I did sure. Adriatica, Ionica, and I did a bunch of team time trials that year. Uh, I think I since then I haven't done as many team time trials as I did that one year. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and 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 they were super happy with the way I rode. So uh, I made the team and and uh, and we won. And that was just uh, an incredible way to to start the to start uh, on on quick step. Yeah, it's, I mean it's fantastic. I mean uh, the team. Was uh, yeah yourself Bob Youngle, Shackman, De Plus, Lampart, and uh, and Nicky Terpstra. Mm. But the thing that stands out for me not not just the fact you won it fifty five and a half k an hour was the distance. Oh my god, sixty two point four k's. Yeah, it's crazy long, wasn't it? That's yeah. a really long. I mean, by modern standards, I mean if you'd have been a lot older, you would have been a, a shoe in for the the Olympic 
uh, Team Time Trial Championships <laughs> when it used to be 100, 100Ks yeah. back in the day. Uh, you'd have, you'd have loved it back then, mate. Anyway, that, that's that's another that's a complete um, another podcast. In fact, I remember I know we had a brief chat before you came on, and I must let the listeners know that Casper um, was on about twelve or thirteen minutes before we had, he was on on his own on the podcast. So I do apologise, <laughs> but we were talking about the last time we chatted before lockdown, and it was when it was the nine, the twenty nineteen team tandra at the Tour de France, mm. and you just the team had just finished third. Um, I think Jumbo Visma had won it. Yeah. Um I can't remember who was who was second actually, but anyway, um you were third. It's a very solid ride. And I was looking around for somebody to interview. I saw you and I knew you were at, you know, it was only year two with the team. And I said, How did that how did the team time trial go? Good ride. Um, who was the strongest was my question. Uh, in, in in the in the team and you said me <laughs> so i loved your honesty mate uh, i, I love that direct honesty that you had i mean because clearly it's something that i mean you're you are a very versatile rider but uh, time trials and team time trialing is where you clearly feel really at home mm. yeah I, I i love a good team time trial and and uh unfortunately we did a horrible team time trial that that tour de france i think uh, uh we managed it a bit better we actually had a really good shot of winning but um yeah, it, w- it wasn't uh, the most impressive performance, but uh, I, and I think it's a shame that there is not that not more of them. I think there was a period there, eighteen and nineteen, where there was a a whole bunch of team town trials, and and I really loved yeah. it. I think it's a beautiful discipline, and uh, yeah, I'm sad that there is not not more of them. Yeah, well, let's. I tell you what, we're going to do. Um, let's just go back a little bit before we look forward, because I obviously want to talk about the classics to come and, and Flanders, um, you riding as the defending champion, of, of course, wearing number one in your back, but let's talk a little bit about how you got into cycling. Cause I, I didn't, I was just doing some research earlier on today. Um, and I didn't realize Casper that you did dressage yeah. uh, before you, you, you went into cycling. So first up, talk to me a little bit about dressage. Cause that you could, mm. I mean, a lot of people I speak to in professional cycling, yeah, I was a runner, I did football, I did skiing. I've never, oh, Mark Cavendish, ballroom dancing. There you go, we know. <laughs> but then yourself, dressage, show, was that something that had always been uh, within the family? Is that a, a tradition or how did that come about? Uh, well, yeah, my my mum and dad, they uh, they met through uh, horseback riding. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I was always in the staples with them when I was uh, when I was a kid, and uh, and uh, they always had their own uh, their own horses, and and uh, yeah, then I, I started also to ride when I was uh, a little kid. I think I started when I was four or five, and uh, on the on the little ponies where the parents have to run at the side and, and drive the ponies around yeah. because uh, when you're four or five years old, you're not doing much much horseback riding to to be honest uh, sure. you're just you're just sitting there <laughs> yeah um trying not to fall off but uh yeah i loved it uh i had uh, i have some really good memories with that and and i think like the way i the way i stopped was like i was riding ponies at the time and i was getting uh quite tall for uh, uh a kid my size but so it was uh the pony was getting a bit too small and uh i was do we get a bigger one that i can maybe ride one or two years more or do we just go on sure. a horse uh 
and then but then the level also goes up and it was a, like it was a lot of it was a long decision making process there and and where i didn't really have anything to ride and then it just kind of slid out and and uh I just it was just like a natural stop and then Sure. Okay, and then at the same time, my mom decided she didn't want to do dressage anymore, so she sold her horse, which I had been riding a little bit uh, while I didn't have any. So then I didn't have anything to ride for a while, and then I just kind of stopped. Uh, and uh, yeah, I tried out a few different other sports, uh, but nothing really got caught on, and then. Yeah, I was watching the Tour de France uh, in the in the summer, and I was like, no, oh, maybe I try cycling. That looks like fun. And, uh, Seriously, it literally you were just watching the tour. Yeah, and yeah. You... My, like, my my parents always encouraged us. I had three brothers, and, and they always yeah. encouraged all of us to to do some sort of sports. Like, it was not like mandatory yeah. or anything, but they encouraged us like to do some sort of, of sport. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, I'd been horseback riding for for nine years at that point. And I was also like with a horse, you, you also have a certain responsibility. You can't just take a day off, you know, Yeah. then the horse is in the, in the stable and it doesn't get out. And then that's not, that's not good for the horse. It's not a good life for the horse. So it's, I was also used to doing something every day, you know, I, course, I, yeah. I had to go to the, to the stables every day and ride the horse, or at least take it out for, for, for some sort of, uh, exercise or activity. I couldn't just leave it there. So I was also used to that, you know? Uh, and, and yeah, then I saw cycling. I was like, yeah, maybe I give that a shot. And then, uh, we called the local bike club and, and, uh, yeah, we do training on Thursday, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. And then, uh, usually there's races in the weekend. And uh, so we went and, and, and bought, uh, my first bicycle, uh, at the local bike shop and uh yeah that just that caught on immediately uh i really liked it we've done about half an hour of of, of talk so i think at the the, the halfway point it's time casper because you are indeed from denmark you're from colding it's time for the colding quiz <laughs> yo yo what's up you're ready? Uh-uh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the... Color quiz. <laughs> you might... <laughs> Can you... <laughs> so, again, I, I do uh, doff up my cap um, and say merci to Niall, who comes up with these rather uh, elaborate jingles. <laughs> but, but, so, could you just... Pronoun- give us the correct pronunciation of Colling. 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 Okay, Colling. Yes. Okay, silent D. Yeah. Silent D. Okay, Colling. Well, so Casper, every podcast guest for the last 50 odd episodes, I-, I do a quiz about their hometown. Okay. Now, it's not super hard, but what it-, it depends. It's kind of, it's a slightly strange quiz in many ways, but it's a multiple choice quiz, so you okay, don't have good. to remember the art. So don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so most people do breathe a big sigh of relief when I tell them that it's multiple choice, so do not worry. Um, but maybe, you know, I think you might get some of these. There's four questions. Mm-hmm. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Are you ready? Lay, lay it on me. Lay, okay, I will indeed lay it on you. And question number one is this. Okay, so Casper, 
Which national Danish museum is located in Kulling? Is it? Oh, and what is? Okay, and what is it a museum of? Uh, modern art. There is more. There, 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 I'm going to give you a bonus point for that. Okay, because that's one that I was aware of. But this, this is a another museum, oh, okay. which is a national Danish museum, and it's is it? It's a medical museum. Okay, ah, it's only small. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So is it? It's a, so, so I'm going to give you. You've already got a bonus point, which is very rare. Uh, but is it the National Museum of Veterinary Surgeons for animals? The National Museum of Nurses. Nurses. The National Museum yeah, of it, it, it is nurses. Yeah. Flipping heck, he's on fire, this lad. Two out of one so far. Um, I was going to say brain surgeons, but um, you've already got that right. It is the National Museum of Nurses. So a very good start. If we were to use an analogy um, in a bike race, you'd already be in the early breakaway, Casper. <laughs> okay. So right. Okay. This is a heraldic question based on the um, the coat of arms of Colling. Okay. Mm-hmm. What creature features prominently, or it's the only creature, on the Culling coat of arms? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it A, a bear, B, a wolf, C, an eagle, D, a reindeer? So the coat of arms, uh, the modern coat of arms is just <laughs> in red and white, but historically it's various variations, but there's always been this one animal on the front of the Culling coat of arms. And they're, they're all Scandic A bear, uh, animals. a wolf. An eagle or a reindeer? Uh, well, uh, let's, say, uh, let's say an eagle. Correct, Amundo, it's correct. Oh, yes, correct. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, check it out, mate. Um, When you're next free, uh, check it out. It's, um, yeah, it's a very distinct uh, Scandinavian eagle. So you are doing very, very well. The lead to the breakaway, they've actually had to put Tinder Clerk on the front of the bunch (laughs) to chase you down. You've got about a four-minute lead, and it's a tailwind. Nice. Incredible. Okay, right, yeah, you're looking good, mate. Um, So... This is where things get a little bit more random, okay? Um, so I'm just going to fire up this web page. I've translated it into English. Um, here we go. Right. <laughs> okay. In Culling, there is a restaurant called the Valdemar, okay? And it's number two in the top restaurants on TripAdvisor in in uh, in, in Culling, okay? But... And it's not far from the Colling Library. So it is the Valdemar restaurant, not too far from the library. And it's the number two restaurant on TripAdvisor. But tell me, what is the price for the spring set menu? Okay, it's currently on the website. Okay, I'm going to read you the menu. Okay, the starter is baked lange, whatever that is, served with parsley root puree, brown butter and herbs. The main course is a medallion of beef, uh, served with a celery puree, Brussels sprouts, and pickled Brussels sprouts. Um, and there's a baked potato terrine. And for dessert, you can have, well, it's a chocolate fondant with a raspberry sorbet. Okay. Now, is the price of this in krona 328 krona, 368 krona, 388 krona, or 408 krona <laughs> for that meal? Uh, what do you reckon? <laughs> uh, Obviously, 
bit of a fun question. You know, I just thought, I wondered how, how well Casper knows local menus and cuisine. I, I have been to Valdemar. Uh, you have? You have been? Oh, that's, yeah, that's good. That's a relief. Been there okay. A, a couple of times, but. Okay. Um, not not recently, so uh, <laughs> I'm not so up to date on their uh, on their uh, spring menu pricing. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> but uh, let's go with. Uh, uh, it's, it sounds like a good menu. Let's go with four oh eight. It sounds like a good menu. It does. It does. It's sadly it's three six eight. Ah. So if I. Hey, if I were you, mate, I would head there because it sounds like a deal, yeah, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. Um, 368 kroner. Um, and then it goes up to the evening menu. Um, but that's just for this week. They have a different menu every week. Right, um, no, no sorry. Yeah. From March the, March the 1st to April the 2nd, sorry. So you've got another couple of weeks of that menu. Yeah, but, um, I'm, okay. still, I'm still not going to make it. I'm not home. I'm staying in the <laughs> You'll have to wait for the, the, the summer menu. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Right, final question. Because you've still technically got 100% because you got a bonus question ah, right yeah. okay yeah, so you've got yeah. so you still got 100% and this is the final question and it Casper is a cycling related question Ooh. okay right question four Harold Christensen was a Danish cyclist from Holling that competed in a summer Olympics and won a, a bronze medal in the tandem sprint on the track okay so Harold Christensen was a cyclist bronze medal in the Olympic Games I'm going to ask you, what Olympics was it? Okay, was it A, Paris in 1924, B, Amsterdam 1928, C, Los Angeles 1932, or D, Berlin in 1936? Hmm. He was, uh, so he was born, Harold Christensen was born in 1907. So he's an elderly chap, but he's sadly no longer with us, died in Copenhagen. Um, but um, which Olympics did he win a bronze medal for Denmark? I... 1924, 1928, 1932, or 1936? I have a feeling it's 1924. Okay. Do you want to? Do you want to phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try again then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh... say. Let, let's just. Okay. Let's get. Let's just say. Try again. Uh... Yeah. Then it's Berlin. Then it's Berlin. Okay. Unfortunately, it's Los Angeles ah, in 1932, mate. Oh, <laughs> mate. But still, you have scored a very, very respectable 75%. Let's let's hear it from the live studio audience. What a great performance that was. <laughs> Getting in the early breakaway, scoring a bonus point straight out of the traps, uh, but ultimately had to settle for 75%. That's still pretty high, though, Casper. So uh, well done, mate. Well done indeed. Um, well, there we go. Right. So moving on, um, it's the Tour of Flanders very shortly uh, yes. in a couple of weeks. Um, before we look forward, if you don't mind, and, and I know you would have said this to numerous, numerous people and uh, numerous interviews, but second place in Tour of Flanders on your debut um, and then ultimately winning the race uh, last year in one of the most sensational finishes I think anybody's seen in a long, long time. Um, talk us through how you felt at, at the at the start of the race, what the plan was, and then ultimately coming up the Paterberg side by side with Mathieu van der Poel and the last few Ks. Just describe as best you can the feelings that led to you winning that magnificent race and, and a race that you've already, you know, still a relatively young man, you've already, you wanted to win it, you've won it, and you're going in with number one on your back. Just talk us through that race when you won. Mm, yeah. So I, I, I had a good... 
I had a good spring season at that point and and um I knew I had the shape to win the race. Yeah. Um the longer races had always been my uh been to my advantage um compared to uh compared to uh, especially Varfanat and, and Matthew van der Poel, which was the, the other two uh, big favorites. Uh, yep. the, the, usually the longer it got, the the the, the bigger like the, the closer uh to them I I, I was. Um sure. So so um and I had managed to beat them a couple of times already at that at that point. So uh, I, I knew I, I had a good I had a good chance uh, that day, and and I was really keen on on uh, making uh, making the most of it, and yep. uh, I had amazing support from the team uh, the whole day. They really believed in me, and and uh, we had Julian Alphilippe there as well, and and um, and the Stebar and Florian in 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 really good shape. Uh, so oh no sorry Steve was Steve was uh he was out at that point he had a heart problem in Kent but he had that's been right. flying so, yeah, beforehand in in E3 uh yep. that's why I'm mixing mixing it up uh but but the team was riding really really well that uh, last year in the in the classics and and uh the, the support I got was was really really incredible and and I had a, a bit of a setback uh, going towards the Quartermont the second time uh with the large pile up that was there and and tim was immediately there and 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 brought me back up to uh to the um, to the car so i could could come off through the cars to the to the bunch again and and uh did a did a huge effort there after already pulling for i don't know how long <laughs> so that was yep. uh that was amazing and uh then we, yeah, we split open the race, and and uh, we were in a really good situation with with especially me and me and Julian uh, going really well, and and, um, and after the the Ude Kreuzberg, uh, Julian came to me and said that that he was he was done. Uh, he he didn't have the legs anymore, but that he was gonna try and 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 uh, set me up for for an attack and. And then he went, and uh, and I could counter on him, and then I went away with mid Van der Poel and 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 yep. uh, Valfenat, and uh, yeah, then it was one on one, and then it's it's a bit yeah. uh, it's a bit easier to manage uh, when when uh, when you you have the the the, the favorites uh, one by one, and uh, yeah, Van der Poel attacked. On, on the on the farm one and I really had to dig deep to yeah. to, to follow him but uh, I came back and and uh, I think we were both keen to to keep out uh, behind us because uh, his uh, his sprint uh, he's he's really really fast and uh, I think none of us was really interested in in, in sprinting with him so <laughs> <Of> course, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah we, we work well together and and yeah, Hansenberg, yeah, I think we we went fast, but we were side by side and we were just so evenly matched that there was like yeah, not none of us uh, none of us uh, gave an inch and because uh, just just at that bit, if you don't mind me interrupting you for a moment, Casper, I, I was um 
with a friend of mine, Rob Hatch. I w- we were commentating for Flanders Classics in the English language commentary, and we I, we were talking about obviously you you both broken away. You'd worked together to distance uh, Wout, who eventually got caught by the by the second little group, didn't he? But um, what, what when you were riding side by side, and clearly Van der Poel was trying to accelerate away, but you were just matching him almost like a drag strip. What was going through your head at that point? Were you did you say? Were you feeling that good that you thought you wanted to not maybe drop into his wheel? You just wanted to show him how strong you were? Because it's really interesting the way that you insisted almost on riding side by side to hold your ground. And I just found that psychological element of the race really, really interesting. So what was going through your mind then? Was it something that automatically happened? Or did you want to show him that you weren't afraid, if you don't mind me asking you? It's a no. tough one, isn't it? Hard yeah, I, 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 I don't. I was not putting that much thought into it. I was just sure going as fast as I could, basically. Yeah, right. okay. you know, because yeah. Bob was not that far behind. He at that point he was not caught by the group yet, and we he was really close actually. So at that point I was just going as fast as I could, uh, and I think he was too. Uh, yeah. And and yeah, I don't think any of us was really trying super hard to drop the other one. Uh, it was just get to the top as as fast as you can, <laughs> basically. Because yeah. that because that climb it, it is every man for himself, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. so steep at the top. You just have to do your own thing, don't you? It doesn't it, it doesn't matter if you're in the wheels or on the front. Uh, yeah, it's so steep. You the the, 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 the slipstream doesn't change anything. There is no slipstream. So yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, and then we worked really well together uh, on the way to Udenade and. Uh, obviously, you try the little, little tricks and uh, get yourself as small as possible, so he has to take some wind when he's in the wheel and, and like stuff like that. But you know, he was trying yep. the same shit on me, so <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, then for the sprint, I, I, I had a, I had the idea that I would. I wouldn't be able to match his initial acceleration, but if I managed to get the sprint long enough, I would eventually yeah. be able to break him and pass him. Uh, yeah. But more like a like a, a long drag uh, to get by than uh, than than to get him in off the gun, you know. So sure. So I started the sprint already just after the three hundred meter mark, like two sixty, two eighty, something like that. Okay. Uh, and like a, a, a two up sprint after 260, 270 K, then 270 meters or 280 meters. It's, it's, it's really long. Uh, yeah. normally if you see a bunch sprint, uh, it's yet less than 200 meters, eh? but, uh, yep. and, and with that many kilometers after six and a half hours of racing, it's, it's brutal to go that early, but I knew it was necessary. Um, you you really want to just wait until 100 meters from the line, but then I knew I was also for sure beaten. But so yeah. so I had to go there and and uh, I was trying like to stress him and a little bit by standing up too early and, and like uh, see like I was gonna go and see if I could get him to jump. But uh, yeah, he was like he was he played it really cool and and uh, didn't go until. Like, I think we like he opened like less than a second, like half a second after me. I did open the sprint, sure. but his reaction time was so fast. I was, I think that was, I, I didn't even get a little bit of a jump on him, which was okay. Yeah. That was not ideal, but okay. 
then now now we're here now we have to go now there's 250 yeah. meters left so uh let's let's try and make it and and then i could just slowly grind my way past him and then when i passed him and he could see that i was still accelerating and and he could not respond yeah then he sat up uh and uh yeah at the moment he sat up, i was like and now I have to keep going. No risk, no risk. I keep going. I keep going. <laughs> I wasn't like, now, okay, now I won. I was like, no, no, no you keep going all the way. <laughs> Don't take the chance. <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it, the way you, uh, obviously you kept a very, very cool head, but you made a, a really intelligent calculation because of the, I mean, when you think about how explosive uh, van der Poel is but then he's fatigued as well you had to you had to do something uh, and force the sprint out to, to open early and it was when you look at it it's um it's it's a quite remarkable sprint because you were everybody who was th- I think was commentating and everybody then thought that van der Poel would beat you and it, and it wasn't the case but it was a, a magnificent victory do you often I'm not saying you do it all the time but it, because it, it's such a special event it's your first monument um how many times have you watched it back, if you don't mind me asking? I, I haven't actually watched the full race. Uh, I, I, I've watched clips of the race and, you know, like this rent keeps, especially in the last few weeks, because now like, like the build up to the next tour Flanders and the look backs yeah. on, on the previous, previous year and stuff like that. So I've watched like bits of the race here and there, but I haven't actually watched the full race now. No, okay, but and and looking ahead to uh, the Tour of Flanders in just a few weeks' time, you will be wearing number one. You'll be one of the favourites. You've already shown you're in good form, um, and you'd like to think, I guess, that you've got better form to come. But can you just explain to? I mean, I know why the Tour of Flanders is so special, and and every rider and every fan has their own view on why Flanders is such a special race mm. because it is revered, you know, especially in Belgium, but all over the world. But why to you, Casper? Before you actually won it, was it such a special race? And eventually winning it, um, why? Why do you think it is almost um, a race beyond anything else? Well, I think I, I think it goes for most of the classics uh, that I really just enjoy the action and the dynamics in the classics. Yeah. There's always stuff going on, and and yeah. and you always have to focus. You can't you can't just uh, sit at the back of the bunch and, and chit chat for the first 150k and then get into the race, you know. Yeah. You you have to be switched on. You have to do the right things from the from the gun. Uh, you have to eat and drink and uh, make sure that your body is f- uh, uh, fueled for the final because for the final you you're not going to be able to eat and drink enough. There's just not enough time. So if you don't do that in the first 100k, 150k, you, you, you're done. Your race is already over. And and uh, that having to do all those things, all those right things, just ticking off things as the race passes on, like I, re- I really enjoy that process. And yeah. uh, especially in the in the longer the races get, and obviously Flanders is, is the longest one together with, with Roubaix. Um, it, it's something special and then just that extra hour, hour and a half of racing compared to the other ones that are usually around 200k yeah. um, it just makes it it just makes it a, a, a level up, uh, a level harder and, and it's only the strongest and the ones who did the right things for 
six and a half hours that are in the final. And uh, yeah, because yeah, it's it, something special. I, it is, and then you've obviously got the the Belgians who who love the sport. The atmosphere um, on the Quadermont in in particular is mm. is nothing that was, short of electric. That was strange <laughs> last year on the Quadermont yeah. because there was nobody. Like it was just of course, yeah, dead of course, silent. Yeah. And I was going up there with with Mathieu and 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 Bob, and I was just there like, this is so strange. There's nothing going yeah. on. Like it was just. Dead silent. It was like <laughs> so. I, it's, I, I should have. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, and this year, you, I, I think, as far as I'm aware, that it, the crowds are going to be back again. I, I, I think. Yeah, I, I, they, I we were out uh, doing recon of E3 Halbeck uh, today, and obviously we also did uh, Quarmont. And yeah, the big, uh, the big tents. They're back. Uh, they're building them, oh, them up uh, today, and uh so yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be awesome to have the crowds back and i was so happy to have them back in in stare and tireno and have the support going up those ramps and yeah f- f- in belgium it's uh it's just uh it's just a party isn't it it's great yeah it i is. really love it it, it is a, it's a very very it, it is like a it's almost like another world championships, in fact, isn't it? Yeah. The, the atmosphere, the carnival atmosphere around it um, is astonishing. I mean, I mean, how are you feeling now uh, looking ahead? I, I would imagine just by speaking to you, you're clearly excited and looking forward to it. But are you a little bit nervous and anxious going into the race? You will be one of the favourites. But as the defending champion, it's going to be a different feel heading into the race, isn't it, for you? Mm, I don't know. Or is it? Or, or do you feel the same? How do, how do you feel? Well, in the end, I, I approach most races the, the same way. Um, mm. Like, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I always do. And uh, yeah. I cannot do more than that, you know. Uh, just because I won it last year doesn't mean I'm going to win it again this year, you know. Uh, uh, most riders go through a whole career without ever winning a monument. That I have won it once is... It's already amazing, you know. Uh, I'm super happy about that. I, I, it, it's it's not a guarantee that I'm ever gonna win a, a monument again. So I don't mm. feel any extra pressure. I'm just happy with all, what I already did, and then I go into this race as on a on a, on a, on a blank sl- uh, slate. You know, it's sure. I'm gonna go out and do my best, and uh, that's what I always do. Fantastic. I mean, just another question that I, I, I want, I think it's important to um, put to you is to, about being in, 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 the, in the quick step team, quick step alpha vinyl now. Um, describe the, what's it like being a part of that squad? And because whatever rider ends up riding for that squad in varying degrees, that there's always success. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lot of illness at the moment. That seems to be going around the peloton. I think lots of teams are decimated, aren't they, by illness at the moment. But generally speaking, Casper, um, what is the atmosphere like within the team? Because clearly there is a winning mentality. It seems like riders are having fun. There's clearly from the outside immense discipline in terms of looking after team leaders. But but clearly there's you seem to be having a lot of fun. And right the way through from the top from the top superstars of the team, everybody else at some point gets an opportunity. What do you think is so special about the the winning mentality um, in, in inside the team? Mm, yeah, it's. It's really, it's really hard to answer, and it, it's, it's, mm. it's a question I, I get a lot. But it's, I, I, I never really found a, a really good answer for it, to be honest. But 
I mm. think it's just we all know, we all trust the fact that if you put in the work, in if you put work into the team, it's also going to come back at you, you know? Sure. And it's, it's, it's also a tradition, you know, that it's, it's, it's because it's been done so many times before, because yeah. if there weren't that tradition of, of new riders coming in and then you, every year they, they, they improve and, uh, uh, and they start to have really, really good results. Um, then it would probably be harder to do it because you wouldn't, there wouldn't be the same trust, but there's just a, there's just a trust in this team that if you do that, if you do, if you race the way the Wolfpack races, you're gonna, it's, it's gonna benefit everybody. It's not gonna benefit only the leaders. It's gonna benefit the, the newer pros as well that come in and, 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 uh, and they get the chance when, when they end up up there, uh, it did for me and it did for it did for so many others and and i think uh, that's what's that's what keeps driving it you know that it keeps working yeah. every year and and uh, yeah uh, so yeah i think that's that, that's my best uh, my best guess <laughs> it's yeah because i'd imagine it's a completely intangible thing now hmm. right th- this we're coming toward the end of the podcast i'm looking at Pro cycling stats at the moment. There's just under 10Ks to go for Bruges de Panna. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, um, we're going to wrap up the podcast so you at least can watch the, the last five, 10 minutes of the race. Okay. I think I might. It's, it looks like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all together. Okay. It looks like it's going to be a bunch, it looks like it's going to be a bunch kick. Um, so, but hold on a minute. There's something going on in the background. What's that noise? Hold on. Random question alert. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, mate. Nine cases ago, we can get this in. I'm really okay. sorry about this. It is time for a random question. Okay, this the the random question generator which Sigma Sports has installed in my in my in my office, and I'm under contract. It's it's gone off in the background. It's an old an old supercomputer from the 1960s. It fired off a random question that I've never seen before, Casper. We're going to try and get this in. Um, I'm I'm going to read it to you now. Um, Still got 9K to go in, in Bruges de Pan. I feel a bit stressed, but we're going to do this. Here we go. Okay, random question. You'd suddenly wake up in an unfamiliar surrounding. As you come to your senses, you realise that you're about to be called onto the stage of a televised national talent contest. The host announces your name and the crowd clap with encouragement as you take to the stage in front of the cameras and four judges. Everything goes silent. You're alone under the spotlight. What do you do? What is your hidden talent? Okay. <laughs> so we've still got nine Ks to go. So you've got, you've got a minute. You've got a minute to tell me your hidden talent. Uh, what a right to, yeah, what is it? So it's a, yeah, what could you do? What can I do? What's uh, your hidden talent, man? That's what, yeah. I could, I could clap clap with one hand. You could clap with one hand? <laughs> what? So, how, so how, how do you do that? I don't know if you so, can hear on this microphone. I can. So what are you doing? How, what are you actually doing? Yeah, I, I don't know. But I, uh, my girlfriend claims it's just because I have like such a large hand that somehow I managed to do it. I don't know how. But... <laughs> 
That is amazing. So you are actually just, you're, so you're moving your fingers onto your palm yeah. and you're able to, so you can clap. I, I think that you would possibly come in the, you might win that. that, that I don't know. I really don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say any more, mate, but um, quite astonishing. There's one thing that we didn't learn about. We now know about Casper Asgren, the winner of Tour of Flanders can clap with one hand. And if you do win it, I'm sure you will. Another, If you win another race this year and you're on the podium, Please clap for yourself with one hand, <laughs> just just for my benefit, mate. Yeah, that I'll, would be I'll amazing, do it especially for you. <laughs> Thanks, very Casper. Thank you. Well, there you go. That's the the, the live studio audience giving you a round of applause. <laughs> um, still seven point eight k's to go in the Bruges de Panna, so we're good. Um, all it takes, Casper, is for me to say thank you very very much indeed, mate, for uh, coming on on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure, and it's been lovely to speak to you after a couple of years. It's all the very great. best. It's been super uh, fun. Thanks a lot for having yeah, me. Yeah, it's it, it's been a good laugh, mate. And all the best for yourself and the team for the rest of the year. And hopefully, actually, I think our, our paths hopefully will cross at some point later in the year, mate. But all the best with the classics coming up. Uh, and you take care of yourself. And thanks again. Thanks a lot, man. Well, if that hasn't whetted your appetite for Flanders, I don't know what will. And if Flanders is over by the time you listen to this, just imagine Casper was talking about next year's race, which will be a carbon copy of the 2021 edition. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to any pro team bus drivers who could do with hearing that they're not the only one having to tidy up after a messy pro. And finally, a massive thanks again to Casper for joining us on the podcast today and for being so generous with his time in the run-up to a big race in his calendar. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.